the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Have a holly jolly Christmas It's the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer Have a holly jolly Christmas and when you walk down the street It's my favorite Say hello to friends you know Thanks And everyone you meet Ho, ho, the mistletoe Hung where you can see Somebody waits for you Kiss her once for me Here we go, a holly jolly Christmas The best I hope that Les Standiford, my guest, is uh, doing a little uh, clapping in his chair. Uh, uh, Professor Standiford, are you enjoying the music? Uh, love it. Thank you. Well, if you wrote this book, you have to enjoy that. I mean, I just make that inference, although it may not be called for. Folks, it's the day before Christmas. This is the Dennis Prager Show, and there is a new book out, The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, which everybody knows, rescued his career and revived our holiday spirits. Mr. Standiford is a professor in the creative writing program at Florida International University in Miami. Do I have it all correct? That's right. I'm the director of that program. Uh, I'm even more honored, sir. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Is uh, 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 This is a fascinating story in and of itself. Uh, about how Charles Dickens is largely responsible for the way we celebrate Christmas in the West. Is that fair to say? I think it is. All thanks to a work of fiction. A very his little carol, as he called it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's very rare that a a one work has such an impact as a Christmas Carol has uh, had on on Western society. Tell us, here, here is what's so interesting. I, know, I, I'm, I guess a lot of people know this, but I also suspect a lot don't. What was Christmas in England and America prior to Dickens? Well, you might think that uh, Dickens uh, climbed on the Christmas bandwagon as a way of revitalizing his career, but uh, you, the truth is, you, as, as, you, as you come to find out, Dickens built the wagon. There wasn't any Christmas to speak of uh, at the time. He uh, It had been on the church calendar since the 4th century A.D. when it was created, and uh, but it had fallen into disrepute from the middle of the 17th century when the Puritans uh, took hold of Parliament and declared the celebration illegal because it had gotten out of hand. Uh, it, it, became, it was, at the time, a, a sort of excuse for a month-long bacchanal. And, well, and, you, this is what, here, for example, folks, just to give an example, you write here, by the early 1600s, <laughs> the excesses of Christmas keepers 
in England had only increased when such practices as mumming had become common. What is mumming? Among other things, mumming men and women were wont to exercise their passion for the season by exchanging their clothing and going from one neighbor's house to the next, engaging in the sorts of behavior that one might expect when undressing and cross-dressing were involved. (laughs) That's why the Puritans banned it. That's uh, uh, that's that's right. I'm not making this up. No, I no. That's why your book is so interesting. <laughs> they uh, and and of course well, that uh, that ban on the celebration of Christmas, which was also instituted in the Massachusetts colony uh, for a time in the 17th century, while those laws had been rescinded, still uh, Christmas was rarely celebrated. It was known its passing had been lamented upon by other writers before Dickens, uh, Washington Irving, and and Sir Walter Scott among them but uh, uh Dickens came along and said we're not uh, we're not going to just lament it we're going to do something about it he was very proactive and he he felt uh, that uh, his book would in fact make a difference it was one of those rare All right so so is Dickens coming to this from a religious uh, conviction that Christmas needs to be cleaned up and celebrated or, or what? Where, where is he coming from? Oh, no. His, uh, Dickens was no friend of organized politics or religion. He was nominally an Anglican but didn't practice it. He, in fact, was a Unitarian at the time that, uh, that he wrote this book. You know what they say about Unitarians? They believe in, at most, one God. <laughs> well, that that lack of their lack of cant and uh, and pomp and circumstance attracted him. At any rate, when he sat down to write a Christmas Carol, what he wanted to do was celebrate what he considered to be the uh, the spirit of a season, the, the celebrate the family unit and the strength that was to be derived there, and to remind uh, everyone that uh, that uh, no matter how. Uh, uh, difficult your own circumstances were that there were people in worse straits, and uh, to remind others of the need for charity at the time, and not a bad uh, tonic for our, our own times. Right, we. but why, why did he pick on Christmas? Well, because uh, he felt uh, he'd always had a soft spot for uh, Christmas, uh, like Irving and Scott knew of it, knew of the practice, and was sentimental of, about it, had uh, uh uh, seen Christmas trees, thought it was a wonderful idea, and uh, and saw an opportunity, I guess you could say, to bring something that he thought of value to the uh, forefront of the attention of, of the world around him. All right. Now, I'm, I, again, I want to go back here to the extent that you're, and I know you're, you're obviously your book is about what Dickens did, but I, I know you know about what Christmas was prior to Dickens, so I'm trying to understand if a lot of people in the West used it as a time for a bacchanal or almost, you know, a Rio de Janeiro carnival atmosphere, yeah. okay, fine. But I have to believe that believing Christians or pious Christians, if we even have to go that far, did not do those things on Christmas. Why wasn't Christmas more important to them? Well, it just had uh, it suffered under that cloud of suspicion that uh, had... Uh, had begun uh, to be created there in the in the middle 1600s, and it just never recovered. It, it uh, the chief uh, Christian holiday was Easter, and that was the pious holiday. And and Christmas uh, had been a creation of of the uh, church uh, from the beginning. Uh, you know, a, a way of increasing, uh, enticing the pagans uh, to help support uh, to 
swell the numbers of, of the roles, uh, the membership roles back in the 4th century. And it worked. Uh, pagans were only too happy to come over and celebrate uh, a, a, an alternative to Saturnalia, which is what they called their year-end celebration. But being pagans, they continued to celebrate it pretty much the way uh, they always had. By the way, us. just uh, a- apropos here, and, and, and more to my audience than even specifically to you, uh, the that there that there would be any pagan origin to any monotheistic practice is no trouble to this monotheist. The the it's the pouring of valuable wine into old bottles that is always done. Uh, I mean, it's done in Judaism, it's done in Christianity, and it doesn't invalidate the importance of the holiday. People think, oh well, I can I can point to to uh, you know a non-Christian origin or a non-Jewish origin to some Jewish. So what? It's what has been made of it that matters. I just want to add that to those of you, as I, theologically inclined. Back to, back to Charles Dickens. Uh, uh, people, how did they become familiar with a, a Christmas carol? Did they see it performed, or did they, did they read it? Well, all 6,000 copies of it uh, were snapped up uh, immediately upon the publication. Of, huh. And uh, what year was that? This was 1843. Mm-hmm time uh, uh, period referred to as the Hungry Forties, a pretty grim time in, in British uh, economic history, uh, I might add. So 6,000 copies is a very big deal. Well, 6,000 copies wasn't uh, very much compared to what Dickens had been selling with uh, uh, the old Curiosity Shop, for instance. 100,000 copies oh, of that. Oh, were oh, the oh. But, he was but a, why was he in debt then? Well, uh, because he had... Uh, uh, four children, a fifth on the way. He'd become the sole source of support for his mother and his father, other members of his family. He did not live a profligate uh, lifestyle, but he was paid uh, in installments, uh, as it were, and uh, his when uh, and he had written a couple of bum books, books that were not providing any return. Such uh, as? Made, uh, the first... Uh, uh, Ill, ill-starred one was American Notes, an account of his travels as visit to the United States in 1842, and it was very critical of the of the U.S. and uh, uh, pretty mean-spirited in tone, not popular on either side of the Atlantic, obviously. And uh, well, the Brits had heard it all before from other authors who had done the same thing, and certainly the Americans weren't uh, happy about being pilloried the way he did. And then he followed that up with a book called Martin Chuzzlewit, which was meant to be a, a sort of a parody of, of English manners of the country uh, gentry, but uh, uh, it wasn't long before he'd invented a trip to America by one of the nephews of his of his uh, main character, and All right. he was giving us the same thing in fictional terms. I will continue in a moment. Professor, I want to reintroduce your book, The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol Rescued His Career and Revived Our Holiday Spirits. It's up at PragerRadio.com. I'm Dennis Prager. We continue. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. 
But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800 500 will be miles Dennis Prager here, and appropriately, I have the author of a new book, which uh, meets my, by the way, my 200-page criterion, (laughs) The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, Rescued His Career and Revived Our Holiday Spirits. Boy, you don't even need spirits. Revived Our Holiday would have been even more accurate in some ways, isn't it? I think that's uh, I think that's pretty much the case. By the way, this is Les Standiford, Professor Standiford, at uh, the, is the director of the Creative Writing Program at Florida International University. And again, the book is The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's up at PragerRadio.com. And uh, Professor Standiford sends a commission to the show for each book sold. He did not know that prior to saying yes. <laughs> but we wish you a Merry Christmas, sir. Uh, it's, uh, it really is fascinating how this work, uh, had this impact, uh, again, to review briefly in England as, uh, and that, is it true in America? Yes, it's true in America too. You quote Cotton Mather, for example, it was a time for revelry, card playing, uh, and who knows what other sinful acts, uh, more than it was just a religious holiday. And so it was actually banned by the Puritans uh, in uh, in Britain. And what uh, what Dickens does, in effect, is infuse it with meaning, and it get, gets a popularity that it probably never had before in the West. Is that fair to say? Well, certainly it was celebrated in a different way, and he wanted to bring back this the glorification of of, uh, of the concept of the family, of, of family unity and the strength to be found in, in family. He uh, celebrated, he thought it was time that business could stop and, and getting and spending could stop and you could, you could uh, take a little time out and enjoy uh, that family time together. And uh, also to remind yourself that no matter how dire the straits you were in, there were probably others out there that uh, were worse off and, and, and needed your charity and your concern. And that's, those are some of the, the elements that uh, that he was concerned about particularly. If you want to talk to Professor Staniford, uh, here's your chance and call in immediately, 1-8-PRAGER-776, 1-8-PRAGER-776, 877-243-7776. So this is in the 1840s, and he writes this. Did he write it uh, both to revive his career and out of conviction, or one more than the other? Oh, I think it was both. I, I think that he both believed that he had hit upon a story that uh, would imperfect, that was the perfect embodiment of his themes that, that underscore all his work, uh, particularly this, uh, the uh, twin banes of civilization, as he called them, uh, the, of ignorance and want, and that uh, 
it would uh, not only change his turn his career around, but that it would change the world. This is one of those rare instances where uh, he was where the author was right. It did both. Yeah, and and of course we get. Is this where we get Scrooge in our vocabulary? Oh, absolutely. At the time in in England, Scrooge was a verb that meant to squeeze or to crush. And today, of course, it's a noun, which means a miserly, cold-hearted person. Yeah, curmudgeon, and and uh, and stingy, and and all, and all and all of the things that that Scrooge is. What is it when you read when you read a Christmas Carol or see it? He confronts how. What is the ultimate turning point as you as you see it? Confronting how he will be remembered. I think. Uh, well, the, the most powerful uh, culminating scene is that he sees his own death, and he sees uh, people who have worked for him cackling over his demise, and he realizes that he's been nothing uh, to people, and it, it's the power is cumulative. The, what the ghosts show him, uh, how how poorly he's thought of by his by others, his family, his nephew, and uh, realizes that he's done nothing. Uh, good for this world and he will be missed not at all i wonder if that if that realization would affect most people if you really could believe it i don't see how it could help but uh you mean a lot of the scrooges of the world don't believe they will be remembered negatively is that what you're saying i think they don't think about that Mm -hmm. so what happened after the book was published you say six thousand were sold then what happened well, it went immediately into second and third printing, sold briskly into January. The critics uh, were over the moon about it. Uh, he got letters from the Queen. He uh, 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 he had factory workers uh, or, or factory owners stand up uh, in the midst uh, at the end of, of uh, public readings. He gave over to declare that henceforth no man would ever work another. Christmas Day and his shop and, and the like, and he he saw the world uh, begin to change. By 1850, Christmas was a roaring phenomenon. Wow! And and he saw he. You know how few people get to see the exactly. good effects of their work in their lifetime. Exactly, and Dickens had that amazing gratification. Every writer, I think, likes to think he's going to write a book that might change the world. Dickens actually got to see that happen. I, it's an. It, it is. It's. It's an. That story, which is, of course, what your book is about, is as interesting as a Christmas Carol. <laughs> I thought it was. Uh, Dickens' own example sort of mirrors uh, the story of uh, the, the remarkable transformation that takes place in Scrooge. And now, now, what? What about America? Do we get a copy here as soon as it's published? Oh, well, it was wildly uh, popular over here. The only thing is that. It, uh, uh, it was purveyed to people in pirated editions. That is to say, the two or three days after the first British copies appeared on the docks, uh, they were reprinted by, well, first by Harper and Brothers in the U.S. Without in, paying rights? Uh, in in editions that sold for pennies. His, his sold for about a dollar, the equivalent of a dollar twenty-five, and they didn't pay Dickens a cent. There was no such thing. It's as like what the Chinese today do to American uh, artists. Yeah. That's right. There are still companies, there are countries that don't recognize international copyright. But uh, Dickens uh, was a, uh, a proponent of this long before his own troubles. Uh, Sir Walter Scott had died penniless, largely in part uh, due to uh, the depredations of literary pirates. 
he was fond of telling that story. Uh, let's take some calls here. Let's go to Jordan, Minnesota, and Nathan. Nathan, you're on with Les Standiford and Dennis Prager. Hi. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Hi. And Les, uh, Merry Christmas to both of you. Thank you. And to you, too. Thank you. See, my question was was, was this. I, I read the book. I've listened to it on audiobooks. I, I drive a lot, so I get, I'm get i very well listened, if not well read. Um, but my question is this. Which movie version do you guys uh, prefer? Do you think you know, prefer as far as most enjoyable and then also most accurate to the original uh, the original work, I have my opinion, but I wanted to... All right, good. We'll, we'll talk about that as soon as we come back. Les Standiford, his book, The Man Who Invented Christmas, is up at PragerRadio.com. And take your calls at 1-8-Prager-776. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm telling you why. This is Frank, right? That's great. You can't get better than this. Well, you can. Burl Ives with Holly Jolly. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here in a Holly Jolly mood. All right, send Frank home with Les Standiford. I have a question about your name in a moment. I'm, I always find names fascinating. Professor Standiford is director of the Creative Writing Program at Florida International University of Miami. And he has written The Man Who Invented Christmas. It is how Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, rescued his career and revived Christmas. Fascinating, fascinating stuff to know what Christmas was like before, who opposed it, what, what. And Dickens, I tell you, it is so rare. We were just, we were just talking about that. To see the, the positive fruits of your work in your whole society, in your lifetime, Maybe there are five examples that I can I can imagine. You know, maybe you know, I guess uh, the polio vaccine. I mean, you know, that would be an but but it, it's, it, it, that's inevitable in medicine at, at some occasion. But this is an amazing social phenomenon. By the way, the name Standiford. I'm sure you half the letters you get are, are to st- less Stanford, aren't they? Oh, they. It's it's one I have to spell over and over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, everybody has to use a Christian metaphor, a cross to bear. That's yours. That's a, a minor one. I love that. That was a test, and he passed. By the way, <laughs> there's a picture of you in the book. It's one of these meditative author pictures yeah. with the author and his uh, chin resting on his clasped hands. Pensive, I think. Pensive, yes. So I was curious, what were you pensating about at that time? Do you recall? Uh, I was wondering how long it was going to take that photographer to get finished so I could get back to work. May we all live so long, I was sure you would say something like that. Like, or why is this man making me pose this way? 
That's exactly right. Oh, uh, Nathan's question. We, are we going to come We back? are. We're coming to that right now. And as it happens, Professor, my, my producer uh, is a professor as well. And I'm at the American Film Institute. So oh, we're really? going to get his input, too. But we'll begin. Nathan, I'm a graduate of the film, American Film Institute. No kidding. Yes, I was a screenwriting fellow there. Yeah, yeah well, he teaches screenwriting, Alan Estrin. Wow. And he's the producer of my show. That's, it is a small world. That is really small. Ooh, it's almost eerie. In fact, I'm leaving. <laughs> I had a great time out there. Oh, you did? Yeah. It was in the days when Antonio Villani was the dean of students, a man who'd worked with George Stevens on such works as Giant and Room at the Top. It was, it was fabulous. Oh, the two of you would have, I'm not kidding, would have a lot of fun talking about that. All right. So the question of Nathan, I, we back to you in uh, Minnesota, by the way, uh, Jordan. Uh, is global warming hit Minnesota? This has been a global warming December, that's for sure. I've shoveled more this month than I think the last two winters combined. Yes, yes. Well, don't get me started on global warming. Uh, that was a sarcastic question, and your answer exactly uh, fueled my sarcasm. Now, uh, Nathan, what's your, you asked what movie version of A Christmas Carol best represents the book. What's, what is your opinion on that, Nathan? Well, here's my night. I, uh, the George C. Scott version from 84 is near and dear to me because I was a 10-year-old child at the time, so that's the one I grew up watching, but the uh, Patrick Stewart version from, from 1999 is, I, I'm a big fan of Patrick Stewart, so I have both of them on DVR, and we're going to watch it as a family tonight, so I wanted to see, I'm leaning a little more towards the Patrick Stewart version myself. All right, thank you for that, and we're going to get other comments. Go to you, Professor. What's your take? Well, you know, there have been about 250 of... Uh, Are you serious? Uh, 250 video and film. <laughs> That's astonishing. Uh, all the great names from Lionel Barrymore to Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> That's the one I have to see. Yeah. What, well, so what, what's your Desert Island version? Well, I just I was in London and uh, spoke at a at retrospective of what's generally considered to be the... Uh, the, the the head of the pack, and that's the 1951 uh, version that stars Alastair Sim, and uh, it was called Scrooge in the UK, and uh, A Christmas Carol over here when it was released. It was not initially popular in the United States because there's some fairly dark moments uh, in it, and uh, people, I think, by that time had begun to think of A Christmas Carol as some sort of sentimental story. Oh, no, it's got darkness, Absolutely. All right, we'll continue. Again, the book is uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas. We'll get Alan's take on that as well. Uh, A rare moment to hear Alan's voice live on radio coming up on The Dennis Prager Show. Riding a one-horse open sleigh. Emmy Davis, Jr. And my guest, Les Standiford. Director of the Creative Writing Program at Florida International University in Miami. The book, The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it, it, is, it is an astonishing story. How And it really is, is it, it's, it's not an overstated title. I mean, of course, Christmas existed prior to Dickens, but what he did for the holiday uh, is, uh, and to see it happen so quickly in his own lifetime on the basis of one book, a Christmas Carol, which of course is is appropriate to people of every faith. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm Jewish and I love it. it it's just it's a uh, it's a terrific story and it's it's a human lesson. Alan pointed out, by the way, earlier that uh, one of my favorite three favorite movies, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, is almost an upside down 
version of this. It's what you're seeing what would happen, how you will be remembered, but in the other direction, all the good you did as opposed to all the bad you did. It's an interesting take. I think he's right. Yeah. No, no. He, he, the motto at my show is, Alan is always right. <laughs> just, just thought I'd share that with you, Professor. By the way, are you enjoying yourself? Oh, very much. This is great. I imagine I get to go around for a book like this. I'm a great holiday uh, booster, and uh, I've, I've been having a wonderful time. Isn't that great? It is. It's true. It's, it's true. It's much better than you know having written on some uh, you know on, on some very sad day I'm in history. I'm not writing about the auto bailout. You know. That's, yes, th- no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Oh, and I wanted to tell Nathan, I you know that George C. Scott version is number two on, on my list. Uh, by the way, that's very good. It's a very close second to Alistair Sim. And Alan, what's your favorite? Yeah, I, I the Alistair Sim version is is the definitive Christmas Carol, if if there is one. It's fantastic. His performance is just astonishing. You think so. I could pick it up today? At a, is is it re- easily pick up yeah. rent yeah. rent yeah. wise? Yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's, wide. Out there. I, I will. I would like. I would very much like to see that. You said you, you were not kidding. There are about two hundred fifty uh, versions available. Oh, in one form or another, and I mean that includes such things as as the pretty uh, widely uh, divergent sort of uh, Beavis and Butthead. No, no, I understand. By but, the way, uh, yes, by the, there's a man who's devoted his life, really, uh, as a scholar, to cataloging uh, all the uh, all the adaptations, and yeah. that's the that's the count that uh, that's the last count. Dickens's Kirchhoff, and and next year we've got another big one coming up: uh, Zemeckis and and Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey playing seven parts uh, in uh, uh, I, what do they call Dynamation, whatever that uh, that uh, Polar Express approach to the the tale, and that's going to start. Carrie and, and playing all the major roles. Who was the last one? Uh, who was the black actor who did that? A lot of roles in one movie. Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that that was brilliant. <laughs> he, the, by the way, guess I don't know if you guys know what do you think is the? This, my area is not film or literature, but it is music. You know what the most recorded classical piece of music is? No. Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Really. Hundreds and hundreds of CDs are still in print that you can get of that particular piece. All righty. Uh, let's go to some more of your calls, and we will go over to uh, Laverne, California, and Carol. Carol Dennis Prager and Professor Les Standiford. Hi. Hi. Dennis, you have no idea how many times I've tried to get through to you. You hit on so many subjects that I'd love to respond to. By the way, how do you know I have no idea? Well, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Okay, okay, go ahead. Okay, um, yesterday I was in CVS Pharmacy picking up a prescription, and I wished them a Merry Christmas, and I said, um, uh, hopefully you won't be working tomorrow and have the day off, and, and she sort of hung her head and said, unfortunately, she said CVS decided for the first time ever to remain open on Christmas Day. That is said. It is sad. Yeah. So I just wish that some uh, of these stores like CVS and so forth would reread A Christmas Carol and Charles Dickens. Yep, that, that's a very, very valid point. Thank well, you for that. that. That's very good. Very good, Carol. Carol, thanks for getting through. I'm glad that you finally did. 
And we go to Texas, Little Elm, Texas. I'd like to live in a place called Little Elm. I got stuck with Brooklyn when I grew up. Jack, what's on your mind, Jack? Well, I I have a firstly a Merry Christmas to both of you gentlemen. Thank you. you too, I have sir. a uh, I have a little. Uh, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. But when I was in England in the Air Force in the fifties, I was stationed at Bryce Norton, which is outside of Oxford, and I'd spent the weekend off base. I had a heavy, heavy snow. It was probably oh, two feet deep, and I was walking back to the base best I could. And here comes a little old lady, white-haired lady. In a little Austin, if you if you know what an Austin was back in those days, a very small little car. And she picked me up, and we got to talking, and she said, uh, "Do you know who Charles Dickens is?" And I said, "Yeah, I've heard uh, you know I've heard the stories and read his books and stuff." She said, "Well, when she was a little girl, her grandfather was a drinking buddy of Charles Dickens, and." She said that her grandmother really didn't like him because of the fact that they were drinking, and that she never called him Mr. Dickens or Charles. She always called him that Dickens. <laughs> Is that a new one for you, Professor? <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, of course. <laughs> yeah. Was he a big drinker? No, I, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, Dickens was fabled as a, as a drinker. Uh, I, I think uh, he enjoyed... Maybe the grandfather was a big drinker. Very much. He saw the wassail bowl as part of the proper uh, Christmas celebration. Uh, he was you. no stranger to it. Well, you have been a thorough delight, sir, and the, as is the book, The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's up at PragerRadio.com, and I, I certainly wish you, sir... Les Stanford, a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas back to you, Dennis, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it immensely. Some final thoughts on the whole holiday season and uh, and the book and so much more when we come back on The Dennis Prager Show. There's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you roam When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze For the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home I met a man who lives in Tennessee. Dennis Prager here. He was heading for Pennsylvania. And There's a talk I gave a couple of weeks ago in Florida, as it happens, to uh, a group, mostly Christians, but uh, a number of Jews as well, of those for all the religious denominations in America who take care of the pension funds for the synagogues, the churches, the the pastors, the priests, the rabbis, there's a big group, an important group. And they wanted me to combine my values talk with a happiness talk, and I decided to speak on it on the topic, A Happy Jew at Christmas. For which, incidentally, the Village Voice, a Village Voice blogger today calls me a Nazi being a Jew who actually thinks it's a good thing for America that people have Christmas and that those who are uh, against it uh, are unhappy people. He took offense at that and proved my point because a happy person doesn't have such a sick reaction. 
Yes, I, I revel in the reveling that America does, the happiness that it has, the celebration that it has at this time of year. I, be, I love this country. It's a national holiday. It is the holiday of the vast majority of my fellow Americans. It is a holiday that encourages goodness. Why on God's earth would I not be happy about it? Why would I feel, quote-unquote, excluded, let alone hostile? If somebody has a, a coherent response to that, I would appreciate reading it. So that's the reason, therefore, that we had the, the last week with Christmas music, interspersed with some very funny and other type Hanukkah music. And that explains it, and that's why it was a wonderful way to end the uh, this week of prior to Christmas with this terrific uh, story of Charles Dickens really resurrecting, if I may use that term, which is more appropriate to Easter, <laughs> but resurrecting a Christmas in the West in the way that we know it. It's very rare that that much good can be done by one person at one time. And so with that, to all of you who are celebrating Christmas, may it be a meaningful and joyous and merry one. And uh, we'll go back to regular broadcasting for the next year. So a happy, meaningful Christmas to all celebrating, a wonderful Hanukkah to those celebrating Hanukkah. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.